Drinking aloe vera daily is a great way to help your digestion and balance your stomach acidity naturally. Yes, you heard that right. You should drink your aloe. Our wonderful partners, Lily of the Desert, have been making the highest quality aloe vera products since 1971. When you drink their aloe daily, you can not only support your gut health, but it is clinically proven to boost your immune system, reduce toxins that prohibit nutrient absorption, increase your daily supplement absorption, and improve antioxidant support. Lily of the Desert's aloe juices and gels are the perfect addition to your favorite smoothie, or you can mix it with another juice. The aloe will help boost the nutrient absorption of those good-for-you ingredients. We love that they grow the aloe themselves organically, and from field to bottle, oversee all processing and manufacturing to help maintain quality and lower cost to you. They offer a full range of products, including USDA organic aloe juices and gels, condition-specific herbal formulas, and of course, aloe topicals for your glowing skin. Check them out at your favorite local health food store or on Amazon, or you can visit lilyofthedesert.com to learn more. Hi, I'm Lisa Davis. So glad you're listening to Health Power. I love to talk about mental health. I love to talk about food as medicine. Put them together. We're going to be talking about foods that can affect your mood. And we're going to be looking at this from an Ayurvedic standpoint. So I have done shows in the past uh, on Ayurveda, but I haven't looked at this aspect. So I'm super excited. And you might know some about Ayurveda or you might be brand new to it. So I am bringing in the fantastic Kulreet Chaudhry, MD, author of The Prime and Sound Medicine. We're going to talk and be talking about how what you could be eating could be causing your mood issues. Dr. Kulreet Chaudhry, MD, is a neurologist, neuroscientist, and an internationally recognized expert in the ancient practice of Ayurvedic medicine. She is the author of The Prime and Sound Medicine and is a pioneer in the field of integrative medicine and is a highly sought after speaker, researcher, and advisor for healthy directions. She is a former director of Wellspring Health and Scripps Memorial Hospital, where she successfully combined conventional treatments with Ayurvedic practices of detoxification, diet and lifestyle management to help patients effectively manage chronic neurological disorders such as multiple sclerosis, Parkinson's disease, and migraine headaches. Her program was so successful that it is now used for a wide range of health concerns, including weight issues and chronic disease. Through her integrative approach, Dr. Chaudhry teaches her patients about the connection between mind, body, and spirit, which impacts every aspect of health, both physically and mentally. Dr. Chaudhry, welcome to Health Power. Thank you so much, Lisa, for having me on. It's so great to have you on. So I just listened to an amazing interview with you, and it was really interesting to hear about the way that you grew up. And having these, this, this ideology in your family and part of your, you know, your history and then going to medical school and being like, you know what? I'm going to use allopathic medicine and then the headaches. Come. <laughs> okay. Better. Talk, take us from there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think it's a common, you know, a common phenomenon that when you grow up with certain wisdom, you take it for granted. You really don't realize like how much value there is. And then, and that's exactly what happened for me. We were practicing Ayurvedic medicine without me really knowing that we were practicing. And that's really the way Ayurvedic medicine should be practiced. 
You shouldn't know that you're practicing a medical system. It's just lifestyle. And what you eat is such a central part of that. And so I grew up with all of that wisdom. And then, of course, you know, I go off to medical school where they don't mention the impact of food on physical health or mental health once. And so it was the first time that I was like, oh, this is really irrelevant. This doesn't make any difference at all. And all of the things that I was doing, the meditation, the yoga, you know, the way that we were eating, none of that was discussed at all in medical school, at least when I went. I'm hoping it's changed. Um, so I just made the assumption that this was all like folklore and it was insignificant and unimportant. And so I dive into the allopathic world, which seemed so kind of shiny and amazing because there were all of these new terms. And I stopped following some of the fundamental teachings that I grew up with in terms of maintaining balance. And so as the years progressed in my medical training, I just slowly began getting sick. And at first, I think like most people, you don't even notice it. You know, first you notice that your energy starting to dip, that your mood is fluctuating more and more. You start gaining weight that like you can still fit into your clothes. So you just keep pulling them on tighter and tighter. And, you know, you just go, oh, it's something shrink. Right. So yeah. all of those things started to happen. And then it wasn't until I became a neurologist, um, finished my neurology training and I developed migraine headaches, which I myself could not treat that was a turning point for me that really kind of brought me down to the ground in that, in that receptive place of humility. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I was like, Oh my God. And I think it had to come to me kind of with that irony that as a neurologist who is professionally trained to treat migraine headaches, I could not treat my own. And that's when I started looking back at the tradition that I had been raised in and said, you know, I didn't have these kind of problems before what is missing in my understanding of medicine? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. When a moment ago, when you said, I hope it's changed in regards to doctors and, and what they learn in nutrition, it hasn't. I mean, <laughs> every doctor I've interviewed who's been, you know, really upfront about it is like, you know what, we barely learn anything. And I've had so many doctors on the program who yeah. only know stuff about nutrition and food as medicine because they had to go out and learn it after medical school which is really a shame, but that we got to shift yeah. that whole paradigm. No, I agree. And it's funny because the future of medicine, which I do believe will eventually incorporate that just out of necessity. Um, the future of medicine is really looking backwards. And that was my journey. I had to look backwards into my own childhood to see what was, what were we doing right back then? And I also had to look backwards into the science of Ayurveda and the irony here, Lisa, is every time I look backwards into Ayurveda, I learn some new trend that's just coming up now. And I'm like, oh, wait, they were doing this thousands of years ago. <laughs> I know, new trend. I don't think so. That's, yeah. that's the other interesting thing that came up in that interview with that woman was that you were talking about this is a traditional medicine, not the allopathic. Well, I think the way that we use the terminology, it's very confusing because we we talk about lifestyle recommendations as alternative medicine or complementary medicine, like it's an add-on. And we refer to traditional medicine as prescribing a medication without any dialogue about lifestyle changes, overall stress, just all of those things that really impact chronic health conditions. 
But when we look at what was traditionally done, because this is a very new medicine, when you look at the history of humanity, we were always very connected to food. We, we ate according to the seasons. We ate fresh foods. We were exercising not because we had a gym membership, but because life <laughs> required us to move. <laughs> you know, that was how we lived. And we lived in sync with the time of the day. You know, we could only be awake for as long as there was sun. Then we slept when it was dark. So that was traditionally the way we lived. We lived really in harmony with our body and with the cycles of nature. And only very, very recently in human history have we moved away from that and said, well, technology is great. And I'm not against technology at all. I love it. But I love it when it's combining the needs of the human body and the human mind and not asking us to extend ourselves beyond our limits. But only recently because of technology have we completely changed the way that we approach our health. So I love that interview because when she said that, she goes, I'm talking about true traditional medicine, which is these ancient myths. I'm like, wow, yeah, you're right. These were traditional. What happened? You know, <laughs> When did these not become our foundational knowledge? You know, I'm guessing people listening are like, okay, I have migraines. What did you do? And this is where you have to know about the different doshas, right? Because you could say, well, I did this, this, and this, but if they're a yes. pitta and you're a vata or a kapha, so people are like, wait, what? So break these down for us, different doshas, and then talk to us about what you are and what helps your headaches. Yeah, I'm so, first of all, thank you so much for bringing up the doshas before talking about the headaches, because what I did works for my body type. And I think this is one of the most frustrating things for, you know, well-intentioned people who are on a health path and they're like, I've spent hundreds of dollars and everything I'm doing isn't working. And it's because they didn't do something that was specific to their dosha. So there's three mind body types in Ayurveda, Vata, Pitta and Kapha. And everything is prescribed according to your dosha. And Lisa, the majority of people have two doshas. Usually one is more dominant. So, you know, as you go through learning about your dosha, don't be frustrated if you go, well, I have a little bit of this and I have a little bit of that. I'm a combination. That's the majority of people. And very, very few people have only one. And so when you have a combination, you approach which one is out of balance. You always are just trying to kind of rein the excess dosha back in. And that can fluctuate with age. It can fluctuate with season. It could fluctuate with what's going on in your life right now. So doshas can get out of balance because of environmental influences. And so vata, vata is a combination of the elements of space and air. And so because of that, the characteristics reflect those elements combined together. So Vata tends to be smaller build. They have kind of up and down energy. They get really excited then really exhausted. And their digestive system follows that same trend. You know, they can be prone to like constipation, then have diarrhea. Because of all of that fluctuating energy of space and air, Vata tends to fluctuate a lot. In general, they tend to be pretty enthusiastic, pretty creative, but when they go out of balance, they can have issues like insomnia, osteoporosis, IBS, again, that fluctuating digestion. 
And if they're eating a diet that aggravates the vata dosha, so foods that are raw, so a raw food diet would be horrible for a vata individual, or drinking a lot of cold beverages or eating a lot of cold foods, if, if their diet is aggravating their underlying vata imbalance, then they can develop issues like anxiety. And it's directly food related and it can be corrected by changing your diet, by adding foods that actually reduce vata. Things like ghee, which is clarified butter, things that are unctuous, well-cooked foods, soupy, warm cooked meals. Those things help to ground out that airy vata. And you know what's always amazed me, Lisa, is we have these archetypes even in our own culture, but without realizing that, oh, they're referring to the doshas. So did you happen to grow up watching like cartoons where you saw the Roadrunner? Yes. I never liked the Roadrunner because I was too realistic. I'm like, you can't fall off a flipping cliff and still be alive. This is just stupid. And you're talking more, I think, from like a Pitta perspective. But the Roadrunner is a classic archetype of Vata. And it's funny because your response to the Roadrunner is a classic Pitta response to the Roadrunner, which is kind of more the Wiley Coyote. <laughs> <laughs> but the Roadrunner has a lot of the features that you would see in, in Vata. And that's why I just think these, you know, little references to like different cartoon characters is helpful because you realize that we naturally create those archetypes in our media because they simply exist in nature. They're just a part of our makeup. So that was Vata. Let's move on to Pitta. So Pitta is a combination of fire and water. And so again, because it's a combination of those elements, everything that you see in the Pitta dosha is a result of those characteristics from the elements coming together. So Pitta naturally runs hot, and that means temperament as well as body temperature. And they're, they're medium build. They're typically pretty muscular. Like when they're in shape, they build up muscle very easy. And they're very organized and goal-oriented, and they want everybody else to be just as organized and goal-oriented <laughs> as they are. And so Pitta, you know, very naturally tends to be ambitious. You know, they're oftentimes overachievers. But when they get out of balance, that's when they can develop a lot of the itises, a lot of the inflammatory conditions because of that excess heat. So dermatitis, vasculitis, colitis, all of those things are related to a Pitta imbalance. And so because Pitta runs hot, if it's eating, if or if he or she is eating foods that are heating, so like chilies, garlic, onions, tomatoes are heating, citrus fruit, fruit are heating. So if somebody with an existing Pitta imbalance is eating a lot of those foods, they will develop anger and frustration. And as much as you think your anger and frustration is coming from the the rest of the world not being as organized and professional and you know as high achieving as you it's really coming from an inflamed gut because the gut has such a huge impact on the mind so before i go on to the last dosha because you asked what was my imbalance and you know how did i treat it 
my imbalance at the time that I had migraine headaches was a combination of predominantly pitta. So after all of the years of medical school and residency and just the intensity of the experience, as well as my eating habits, my pitta was completely out of balance. And so that was the main imbalance. And then my secondary imbalance was vata because of all of the fatigue that I experienced from just so many years of such intense, intense work during my training. So that combination of pitta and vata, that's a very common way to get migraine headaches. And that's exactly what happened. And so for me, the Ayurvedic practitioner that I saw, um, everything that he recommended was just in calming down the pitta and improving the the vata, grounding out the vata. And within three months, I was headache-free. My energy had gone up. I had lost 10 pounds, like everything. And it was mostly inflammatory weight that I was carrying. And so everything changed when I addressed my underlying dosha. So that's how I approached my migraine headaches, but you see why you have to know the underlying dosha that's causing it. Because let's look at the last dosha. So that's what I did, right, for my mm-hmm. dosha imbalance. But let's look at kapha, because if my underlying imbalance was due to kapha that was resulting in the issue, it would have been a completely different program. So the final dosha is kapha, and kapha is a combination of water and earth. And so, again, because it's a combination of those elements, the characteristics are going to reflect that. So, kapha is naturally larger build, larger bone. They tend to be pretty steady. They don't move very fast physically or mentally. And that's what makes them so calm, loyal, and they don't have a lot of, like, ups and downs. And that's, you know, the real strength of kapha comes from that structure, Um, but just like all of the other doshas, they can also get out of balance. And so when kapha gets out of balance, becomes excessive, it can lead to obesity. It can lead to the formation of tumors, a lot of nasal congestion, and just a lot of mucus production in the body altogether. And so when kapha is eating foods that aggravate kapha, such as a lot of dairy, Um, So things like cheese, ice cream, and these are the things that kapha loves. Um, And if they're eating a lot of meat, so a lot of the heavy, heavy foods. So meat and dairy are considered heavy foods. And so since kapha is naturally heavy, you don't want to be eating a lot of that if you have a kapha imbalance. So when they eat a diet like that, it can result in depression. So again, in order to combat the the depression, it's not about just, you know, Um, okay, we have to put you on a medication. It's also like, well, first let's look at your diet and see what are the foods that you're eating that are resulting in that. For a kapha individual, when they go on a vegan diet, they naturally lighten up because again, they're built heavier and it just, they're the strongest dosha and the most balanced with a vegan diet. And because of their steadiness, they're really kind of like the pillars of their communities when they're in balance. So that's just a a brief overview of the three doshas and how eating improperly for your dosha can result in mood disorders. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out which one I am because I'm kind of like, I'm kind of all of them. (laughs) Well, maybe not. I'm thinking more like pitta and kapha because I'm definitely like medium boned. I'm tall. I'm very shapely. 
Um, I don't, I'm not short tempered though. And I'm not, I mean, I'm a high achiever, but I'm, I, I was never that kind of type A and I don't really care if other people are, although I don't like when people are late, but that's just because my dad like ingrained that in me. Um, I'm very affectionate. But that's a pitta thing. That's a pitta thing. <laughs> Even because it might've been that your dad was pitta and Maybe, when yeah. you have that aspect of pitta, <laughs> then that being late will aggravate you. But yeah, I would agree. You're a combination of pitta and kapha, but you see how your kapha nature, when you go, but I don't get really angry. That's because your kapha nature is grounding your moods so they do not fluctuate, right? Right. And so it's it's like at certain times, Lisa, like during the summertime, because each each season has its own dosha imbalance. During the summertime, you might notice more pitta. And so summer might be a time where you have to really reduce the spicy foods and eat cooling foods like green vegetables, coconut water, pears. Those are the things that naturally cool your body down. And then during kapha season, which is late winter and spring, that might be the time where you go, oh, we're going into kapha season. Okay, so I know I might have a tendency towards getting congested or getting allergies because my kapha is going to go up. So this is a time where I just cut back on, you know, meat and dairy, maybe 50% so that I don't hit that kind of slump in energy and overall, you know, feeling of, of lightness. Like I don't lose all of that light feeling in my body during kapha season. So does that make sense? Like when yes. you, you have to just kind of adjust it according to what's happening. Well, you said something really that stuck out to me. You said 50, reduced by 50%. So I practically live on onions and garlic and I just feel like life isn't worth living. <laughs> Right, without it. Yeah, that's that's a classic Pitta approach. <laughs> so you don't have to live complete. I mean, if you're feeling good, like I feel pretty good. Does that mean it's that even though, okay, yeah. even though I'm Pitta, I seem to be doing okay energy-wise, sleep-wise, health-wise, eating a lot of onions and garlic. Is that weird or is it just like, how does that No, because your kapha actually gets balanced by eating foods that are spicy. So that's why I'm saying everything has to be really individualized. So kapha, in order to keep it in balance, it needs a little heat. So you always have to look at like, so even though Lisa, you're you're pitta kapha. Right. Right. And so only if you're noticing an imbalance, would you need to make those adjustments? And I always believe in making small changes, like reduce something by 25 to 50% and then see, are your symptoms gone? Because the, the, the point isn't to just live this highly regimented life that you don't need to be living. Like if you're saying, Hey, I'm actually feeling really good. And, but you just told me I'm pitta kapha. And so I'm going to reduce my pitta aggravating foods. I'm like, no, but you're, you're eating them in a way that's in balance because it's, it's balancing out your kapha. And so it's all about, are you noticing the imbalances when you are noticing the imbalances? That's when you're making the adjustments to living in balance, living in balance, not out of balance, but you're making those adjustments and That's why, like, Lisa, so often people will ask me, like, well, what do I do for this? And I said, well, you should know all of the doshas like you would know a friend, right? So, like, you understand the characteristics so that you can see what's being reflected in you and then make the choices that are necessary in this moment rather than having this cookie-cutter approach that I say, 
oh, if you do this for the next 20 years, you'll be fine. Well, no, because your body changes. And that's why it's so important to understand what influences change it, what influences, like, you know, just knowing, Lisa, what influences would drive your pitta up, what influences might drive your cough up. So now you're aware. So you can make those adjustments as soon as you begin to notice that difference. And I have a Vata in my life. They're the total roadrunner and they have really bad anxiety, but they love cold drinks. And I'm like, how am I going to get them to knock off the cold drinks a bit, right? It's, it can be tough to, but you know, I mean, I'm going to play them this interview clearly. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, this person was diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder. So they, I, I do believe that you can have a mental health or mental illness that is really true and within you and brain chemistry and all that. But then you're, this could aggravate it. I mean, I love your approach on that. Yes, but let's, let's, let's go this, let's go through in this a little bit deeper. So first of all, what's interesting is that all imbalances crave themselves. And this was something that took me a long time to both understand and accept that every person that came in who was Vata was drinking cold beverages, eating raw foods, living off of salads, eating popcorn nonstop, that they were doing all the things that aggravate the imbalance. And every pit the person was eating, you know, foods that were super spicy, were doing fermented foods. And every kapha individual would be, you know, eating so much sugar and dairy and meat. And I was like, well, this doesn't make any sense. But now let's go into your question a little bit deeper because it ref- it's we're talking now about the mind-gut connection. And so when you're eating a certain diet, the, the microorganisms in, in your gut will help to determine what you're craving and whether you're craving things that make the imbalance worse or better. And so you're craving the foods that are making your imbalance worse because of this brain-gut connection. It's how the gut will kind of override the brain or sometimes the brain will over gut, override the gut um, because of this connection. And whenever they go offline with each other, they will crave the imbalance. And so that's very, very typical. But you said something really interesting because you said, but it's a real thing in the brain. And so you're assuming that the brain and the gut are two separate functional units. And if something is happening in the brain, it's real. And if something is happening in the gut, that's fake or it's happening because of the body. I believe in mental illnesses. I guess that's what I would say. But, but see, it's still underlying this common thought that mental illnesses happen in the mind and only in the mind, right? Oh, I see. And so okay. when something is a mental illness, right? And so what I'm trying to say is, and this was one of the biggest aha moments for me in Ayurveda, is that the mind and the gut are one functional unit and together they determine our mental health. And I, you know, I've had just so many patients like when they really get this concept, because we have this idea that our mind is something separate from the rest of our biology and that it's somehow inherently us. We identify ourselves with, with what we think is the mind so much that we think it's coming only from the brain. What, what it's coming, what we call the mind is a culmination of our total body biochemistry and it's predominantly determined by the gut brain connection. Okay. That together is 
the mind. And this is so profound that you can actually change behavior just by changing the microbiome. You can change really core habits just by changing the microbiome. And I think this is sometimes unsettling to people because they're like, well, I don't want to think that what I'm eating affects who I am. And I said, but the food industry knows that. That's why they make the food in a way to result in food addictions. And so if they know that, shouldn't you at least also know the science of that so that you've got like, you know, equal playing field in terms of who's influencing your mind? So I can't tell you how many patients will come in to see me that will have like a 20 year history of depression. And it's not because of the absence um, or presence of trauma. I'm not trying to downplay the role of trauma at all. It's actually one of the core things that I work on for people who have, you know, gut issues. As I say, Hey, what, what, where's the trauma that hasn't been processed. But what I'm trying to say is that the trauma is is not just impacting your brain, it's also impacting your gut, that the whole system gets thrown off. And as you begin to correct the gut, automatically, like after 20 years of depression, just simply changing somebody's diet, they go, oh my gosh, I finally have enough relief, like I have enough clarity that I can now focus on doing the work and releasing the trauma. You see, it's oh, you've okay. got to address both sides of the same coin. And that's how I approach my, my patients. I always start with the gut first because it's the easiest. And when, when you fix that, you have the energy and clarity to then dive deeper into the trauma. It's always, it's always the role of food and trauma but why not fix the thing that's the easiest kind of to fix and change, which is just shifting the microbiome, get enough mental relief so that you can do the heavy lifting of trauma work. Anybody that's done trauma work knows that it is hard work yes, and absolutely. you need to have the energy to do it, right? And so this is why we fix the gut first. So it's it's not that something isn't real like, because we, I think we oftentimes judge ourselves, right? That this is not real um, or it is real depending on if I think it's coming from my neurochemistry versus my body. But those two function together to dictate your neurochemistry. Your gut dictates your neurochemistry. So tell me, where is the mental illness coming from? <laughs> oh, okay. So what about when people say, well, there's um, some kind of serotonin imbalance? Where do you think the majority of your serotonin is created in your entire body? Gut. Yeah. So the majority of your serotonin is created by your gut flora. See, the only reason that we're having a hard time accepting all of this, Lisa, is because all of our physicians, and it's because of their, your, our, our physicians' teachers, told them that the body is piecemealed. So the brain uses serotonin, and therefore serotonin must come from just the brain, or the, or the serotonin it's using must only be coming from the brain. No, not at all. You are built as an entire system. And the system functions as a whole. And so you are forming neurotransmitters under your skin, in your gut. You know, you're, you're, you're not, it's not like we're a little factory where each part has its own individual little labor and nobody communicates with anybody else. 
it functions as a whole. And Ayurveda understood this. And because they understood it, they recommended things like, for example, for a vata imbalance and treating anxiety, they would recommend oil massage. Well, what does oil massage have to do with anxiety? Well, it reduces vata, but you also help to stimulate different hormones and neurotransmitters to be secreted through touch. You see, we're not looking at us as one giant system that functions with instant communication with the brain, with the endocrine system, with the gut, with every experience. But when you see it as that, and when you see how the different doshas play the role in all of that, then all of a sudden it makes sense. Like, oh, somebody, like two people can go through the same experience. One will experience anxiety and the other one may not, or the other one might experience anger. And the explanation for why does one person go on one trajectory and another go on another trajectory is in understanding the dosha and understanding the way in which the body responds to stress and the way in which the body responds to relief. I just, okay, this is, you're amazing. You got to come back and do like a whole series. I mean, you're just, not only are you incredibly (laughs) engaging and have a wonderful personality on air, but you're so damn smart. (laughs) Well, I can't take no credit, Lisa. I don't want to take credit though. I'm sorry. I just want to say this. This is basic knowledge of Ayurveda. I mean, I would love to take credit for all of this. (laughs) The the only part that I would, you know, I can take credit is, I, I brought the lens of neurology and the lens of modern medicine to it, but Ayurveda just spoon feeds all of this information. And so the big aha moments I had was as a neurologist, you know, as a neuroscientist, and as somebody who has been exposed to the science of modern medicine, I was able to create that bridge, but this is all Ayurveda 101. So have you worked with people who are on antidepressants or anti-anxiety and gotten them off by doing what you're talking about? Absolutely. Yeah. But, you know, Lisa, my goal when I first started, um, and this is just a reflection of my Pitta nature, um, I always looked at it as like, oh, I'm going to get somebody off all of their medications. You know, it was almost like this internal race of like, I'm going to undo what all the bad medicine has done to them. And as my own pitta has gotten more and more in balance, um, I don't approach it like that. My goal is always to make sure that people aren't suffering, to make sure that people are like feeling good, right? That they're in a place where they just feel supported And so the focus has been less on trying to get them off medications, but just seeing at what point do they feel really good? Because sometimes, let's say they come and see me, but they have a parent in hospice and they have a child maybe in rehab and they're possibly going through divorce, right? So now those are massive life stressors, right? So I wouldn't come in and go, oh, well, let's get you off your antidepressant. I'd be like, okay, so how much can you do right now, right? Like what's appropriate for you right now? And let's work towards that. And then maybe their antidepressant dose will slowly go down because I don't want people to feel like they're failing at life if they're on antidepressants and they're succeeding if they're off. It's not like that. Life changes and like our life circumstances changes. And so I just look at it as what do we need to do for you right now? 
And let this be a lifelong journey into balance rather than like, well, in six months, because that's how long, you know, I'm going to be treating you for you for this condition in six months, I want you off, you know, throw out those goals and just say, this is going to be a lifelong journey. Maybe you're going through more right now. Maybe you're going through less in your life, but whatever resources you have in terms of energy, right. And time and finances to invest towards the long-term goals. Let's put that in now. And like every year, let's do a check-in to see what are this year's goals. How long would it take for somebody who might have anxiety, let's say, and they're a vata of, you know, theoretically, theoretically, right? right, Yeah. (laughs) Theoretically, we're not talking about anybody in particular. No, Uh, making these changes to their diet. And I'm assuming it's very individualized. Or is there like, Three months, six months, a year. I mean, is there like a general ballpark when people see changes? It's it's it is very individualized. But as soon as you start doing things to balance your dosha, you're going to start noticing a change pretty quickly. But what I have noticed is that as soon as somebody with a vata imbalance, for example, um, as soon as they start feeling better, they're more intolerant of their imbalance. Does that make sense that all of a sudden they go, oh, okay, hold on. I tolerated such high anxiety before, and now that I'm starting to feel better, I don't even like it when I feel a little anxiety. And so then the desire is like, you know, as soon as you achieve a goal, then the desire is like, I want to achieve even more of this balance. And so you'll start noticing improvement right away, but like the more you improve, like you have to have the contrast of well-being or lack of anxiety to understand how debilitating something actually is, right? Because now you go, oh, it's the same for pain. I have a lot of patients with chronic pain. And let's say before they were like in pain 90% of the time, and now they're only in pain 10%, but I only hear about that 10%. (laughs) 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 Because they've become you know, they become really intolerant of the imbalance. And so you'll you'll notice improvement, but you'll want more as you realize that more is a possibility. Now, going back to Tavata, if they're out of balance, they should stay away from like the, you know, the raw vegetables and stuff. And again, if they're in balance, then it's okay to have like a salad or something, right? Again, just wanting to reiterate that. A salad occasionally, but you know, the thing is you have to really read your body. Yeah. And like, you might want to do it where um, you have a salad only at lunchtime because that's when digestion is the strongest. That's when pitta is the strongest. So the doshas even change during the day. Vata is higher earlier in the day, in the early morning, then um, kapha is high from like, you know, around... um, like around uh, 6 a.m., you know, to about like um, nine-ish, you know, then you start going into kapha hour. And then pitta hour is highest midday. So you use this to your advantage. Like if you really have to have that salad, then eat it at lunchtime and eat it during the summer. But it would be awful to do it like during the hours of let's say like four to six when Vata is four to 6 PM when Vata is the highest during the fall when Vata is the highest. So it's really just an individual choice of how uncomfortable are you with your Vata? And sometimes it's not a question of how uncomfortable are you with your Vata, but how uncomfortable is your family members and your work with your Vata? Because 
Right. You know, Vata oftentimes they're when they get ungrounded, they don't really mind because they're like, oh, this is fun, right? Because they get really into their headspace and they're very creative. And so they're like, this is great. Even though they're late for everything, they forgot to pay their bills, they are forgetting where they put their keys and wallets. For themselves, they might be like, oh, this is really great because like my meditations are so spectacular or I'm like super creative and I can stay up all night long and look how much I'm getting done. Their imbalance may not bother them until it becomes physical. And so I think it just depends on like what your goals are in life. Like if you're in a marriage or you're in a family or you're working with a group that then understanding how your behaviors impact the group become more important. So then it might not just be like, you might be at a place where you go, Oh, I don't have anxiety. I feel great. But your spouse might be like, yes, but you're chronically late and you're chronically like forgetting to do things. So you need to work on your imbalance more because it's impacting our relationship. Does that make sense? Like it just, yes. you got to take kind of like the whole thing into account. <laughs> I know this is so, I am just, my mind is blown. Because when you're talking about those characteristics, I'm just thinking of somebody with ADD or ADHD. Yeah, no, it's just a Vatimans. And that's why I have a lot of... um you know, adults who come in with ADD or AD and they go, I have adult onset ADD or ADHD. I'm like, you have an adult onset Vata imbalance. And that's very, very common nowadays because our media, the amount of time we spend on our media, media really increases Vata. And, you know, we're all on our computers and we're all on our phones. And so now more than ever, we have to really be following some Vata balancing, you know, techniques because almost everybody in the U.S. has a Vata to some extent, even though it's not their primary doshas, they do now have a Vata imbalance because of the way we live. So for example, Lisa, like in the mornings before I get onto my computer, I put ghee, which is clarified butter on my feet because that pulls my energy downward and it prevents my Vata from getting so high. And I'll make a um, tea of cumin, coriander, and fennel seeds. And that's, you know, the prime tea. I mentioned it in, in the book as well. But that tea helps to keep all of my three doshas balanced. So because of modern life, right, like we have to make like some adjustments. But that's why when somebody comes in and they go, I've been diagnosed with this. It's not that I'm, you know, discounting the diagnosis. It's just for me, it's just a dosha imbalance. And I think when you talk about it as a dosha imbalance, it diffuses like the diagnosis a little bit because all of a sudden you're like, oh, this is just, yes, it's me, but it's me out of balance and there's an option for balance. Like I have a lot of my patients who have, you know, OCD and they're like, oh, I have, I have OCD. My dad had OCD, my great grandfather OCD. Well, yes, but you come from a strong line of Pitta people and they've all been out of balance. And when you get Pitta really out of balance, and if you have a little underlying Vata, it turns into OCD. And so we just work on the dosha and they may still be very detail oriented, but they no longer have a psychological diagnosis. I'm looking at my whole family and everyone I know, and I'm like, okay, they don't have yeah. that. They, this is, I mean, everybody's, it seems like everybody's out of balance. It changes. Yeah, it is, but it's because we don't have this knowledge. See, Lisa, before the way that this was passed on was that the parents would know this information, right? And especially traditionally, because like the the mom used to be the one that was cooking for the family and raising the children. And I'm talking like hundreds of years ago. 
but the parents would know this. And then like the mom would adjust right according to the needs of the children. And oftentimes it was reflective of the parents' doshas because you pass on your genes and doshas are also genetically based. And so because the parents knew this, they raised their children in such a way in connection with nature, in connection with the cycles and in connection with their own needs so that these imbalances never became so strong. But nowadays, nobody knows this information. And so we're just raised in a, in a way of like these random health facts that may or may not work for you. But our basic approach to life is not one that's in sync with our needs at all. And once you actually understand the doshas and once you understand your dosha, I mean, a good like 80 to 90% of the challenges you face on a daily basis can be erased by just doing things to balance your dosha. You know, where it really hits me strongly, and this is where I feel just um, a tremendous amount of pain when I see this in people's lives, is when, let's say something happens in a family And there's just something that aggravated like the dosha imbalance of one individual and they don't know it's a dosha imbalance. They think it's this new circumstance. And that one dosha imbalance, like let's say somebody who had a pitta imbalance, something happened, maybe increased work stress or um, they're having to go out with clients more. So they're like, you know, eating the wrong foods or drinking alcohol. And all of a sudden now the pitta dosha is just out of balance. All of a sudden that pitta dosha can become so disruptive that it can break up an entire family just because they didn't balance out the dosha. And Lisa, I see that over and over again. And I think how sad it is that if, if, you know, they say, okay, I know I'm going to have to go out, I'm under more stress. And so they start drinking aloe vera juice, which helps to balance the pitta dosha, right? Or at dinner, they go, well, I'm not going to choose anything that's really spicy because my pitta is already getting out of balance. And I don't want to bring that anger home. Like there's all these things that they could have done that are so simple. It would be less of like a, than a five minute investment each day that they could have done to prevent the dosha imbalance going to a point where it disrupts the family. And we think somebody's behavior is a reflection of who they are rather than a reflection of their biochemistry. And biochemistry can be changed. When you think this is just who the person is, you think this is unchangeable. And that's not true at all. Now I'm just trying to think how to get cold drinks away from this one person. I'm <laughs> Sorry, they don't make ice anymore. Yeah, ice, is, ice has been discontinued. Um, but the beauty of it is you don't actually have to take things away. This is like the beauty of it is... If you just start to add things that balance the dosha, the person's microbiome and their neurochemistry will naturally shift. And so then they start to recognize how they feel when they do those things. See, it's just it's a lack of the contrast of the feeling well. And so the entire program I outlined in the prime, you know, which is actually it's a neurorehabilitation program that was then because everybody lost weight when they, if they needed to lose weight because we're reducing their toxic load, then it became known as a weight loss program, but it's actually a program that helps to reset the brain and the gut. And in that program, I do not ask anybody to take anything away at all because what happens is as the doshas become balanced, 
you naturally become aware of the negative impacts of the imbalance. And that's how I practice is I would first do these things that just brought around balance. And then my patients would come back to me and go, Hey, I'm really starting to notice that like I'm feeling better, but then there's times where I don't feel better. What are the, what are the things that are causing me to not feel better? And then that's when I begin to introduce you know, a deeper dive into the dosha specific recommendations because then they're craving the balance because the initial biochemical shift has already taken place. Well, I want to have you back. I need to read the prime and also sound is medicine. I want to have you back for those. Was there anything else you wanted to add today? No, I just wanted to thank you. Um, you know, for all the light bulbs that went off, I think in your mind, I think that it's those light bulb moments when you start looking at your own family members and yourself differently and from a place of understanding and compassion, right? Where all of a sudden you go, oh, this this person's not trying to be this way. This is just what happens when their dosha gets out of balance. Um, when When that experience happens, that is when transformation can occur. So I wanted to thank you for just representing that. I think for, you know, not just for yourself, but for your listeners of like, oh, that epiphany of, oh, wait a minute. I don't have to throw out my family. <laughs> like, you know, I don't have to throw out my coworkers. Like there's, you know, there's, there's things I can do to balance myself and there's information I can share with those who are asking to bring them in balance also. Yeah, it's all so beautiful. Dr. Chaudhry, tell us all the ways we can find you in your incredible work. <laughs> Thanks, Lisa. So the books are available wherever books are sold. Um, so Amazon's really easy place to find the prime and sound medicine. And for people who want to take a dosha quiz, I have an online quiz. And to learn more about Ayurveda, the doshas, the different spices and the different herbs we use in Ayurveda, they can just go to my website, drkchaudhry.com. And all of that information lives there. And I am continuing to populate and update that information on that website so that people have a really nice resource of Ayurveda for modern living. And if you could spell your last name for us. Absolutely. Oh, it doesn't just, you know, it's not just obvious, Lisa. <laughs> the last name. <laughs> <laughs> it's not it trust me it's not to most people and there's like five different ways you can spell it but the last name is spelled c-h-a-u-d-h-a-r-y great and i also want you to come back for another show on uh, the herbs and spices we, we we're going to be doing a lot together <laughs> i haven't even asked i'm like you're just coming back i would love that i would love that well that's it for our show today thank you so much for listening we appreciate you and we would appreciate it if you could please rate and review and leave a comment because the more you engage with our podcast, the more you will find it and help other people find it wherever they listen to their podcast. So be sure to follow us. I'm at Andrea Donsky and at Naturally Savvy and Lisa at Lisa Davis MPH. Thank you so much. And please share this episode because the more you share shows you care. We'll see you next time.